Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. It's obvious that uh, Christmas is upon us, right? It's full-blown Christmas season. I used to think it was nuts that all the stores had their Christmas stuff out before Thanksgiving. I used to find that annoying. Now, how many of you noticed it's all out before Halloween? All the Christmas stuff. I tell you, once you hit the Black Friday thing, you know, right after Thanksgiving, then it's just, just look out. It's Christmas, Christmas everywhere, right? You get in an elevator, Christmas music. You get, no, you're walking down the street, you hear Christmas music. Mailmen, they've got those big back support things on from carrying all those fruitcakes around. Things weigh a ton. But fist fights are breaking out in the Santa Claus line at the mall. There was a story online, some mall out in California, these two moms got into a knockdown, drag out fist fight because one of them had cut in line with their kids to see Santa Claus. You know, I've always said nothing kind of welcomes in the holiday spirit like a good old fist fight in the Santa Claus line. It's just, it's just touching, isn't it? There's, I didn't see the fight. I read about it. But I have been to Walmart. How many of you have been to Walmart early on a Black Friday when, like, riots almost broke out over someone cutting in a line? It gets, it gets scary. But, you know, here's my deal. Despite all of the various salt and batteries that take place, I love Christmas season. I tell you, I, how many of you love Christmas? Let me see your hand if you love Christmas season. Good, I'm glad. I'm glad we don't have a bunch of Scrooges here this morning. I'm glad you enjoy Christmas. I mean, there's so much to love about the Christmas season. How many of you love all the food that's associated with the Christmas season? Man, I have some pants uh, in my closet that are my December pants. <laughs> you got any of that? My wife, throughout in the middle of the year, she'll be going through that. She, you need to get rid of some of this stuff you don't wear. See, she doesn't understand that these are my seasonal items. I have to hang on. Those are my December pants. But man, I love, I love the Christmas music. I love all the decorations, giving the gifts, receiving gifts, getting together with family. I just, there's a lot to love about Christmas. But there's one thing that I've learned about Christmas season anyway, as far as myself, I have to make a very conscious effort to kind of try to slow down. I find that I have to kind of refocus my mind and my priorities or else it is very, very easy to miss out on the real joy of Christmas. I mean, there's so much, especially in the church, and that's the last place you'd think, right? But man, there's, you know, there's this event and that, and they just keep coming rapid fire. And it is so easy to get so busy with Christmas and all that's going on that Christmas comes and goes. And there have been years where I kind of, right after Christmas, I thought, you know, I kind of enjoyed some of the real joy of Christmas because we were just so busy. And so we have to kind of guard, we all have to guard ourselves against that. Very easy for people to let all the decorating and the parties and the events the, to get moved out front, and Jesus kind of gets pushed to the back a little bit. We have to be careful of that in our life. Jesus can get uh, reduced to just playing a bit part 
in the production instead of being the absolute star of the production. Does that make sense? So that being said, my goal here this morning, I want to encourage you to kind of shut off your Christmas to-do list and we just turn our attention toward Jesus himself. And he, even to go a little bit beyond that, to, to more than just focus on Jesus in his birth, I want us to go a little bit deeper within ourselves and try to honestly answer this particular question. When it comes to Jesus and the person of Jesus, the power and the majesty of Jesus and our Savior, Jesus, what feelings does Jesus evoke inside of you? How does Jesus make you feel? You feel something, most likely. You know, this is not meant to be a very deep and mystical question. You don't have to be a spiritual giant to answer this question. If you've been in church all of your life, that's wonderful. And you have certain feelings about Jesus when you hear that name. On the other hand, if, if you've never been to church before, a lot of times Jesus still evokes certain feelings. Maybe feelings like uh, uh, you're confused. You don't really know how to feel about Jesus or a little nervous because, you know, you don't know what's all involved in, in serving Jesus. This morning, I want us to go kind of behind the scenes of the Christmas story and take a look at the Christmas story from what we might call a backstage perspective. And that's the title of this message. It's Christmas Behind the Scenes More Than Pageantry. You know, the Christmas story, we find it in just two places in all of the Bible. You find it at the beginning of Matthew, and then you find it in Luke chapter 2. And here's the real preface that this message is built on. I don't know about you, but as I read and I study these two stories about the birth of Jesus, I see these events played out much, much differently than we usually see them played out in, in church productions, you know, a Christmas production or a theatrical stage production, a Hollywood movie about Christmas, or, or even just look at most, uh, most of the nativity sets that we have in our homes or uh, even in our churches. You know, over the past 2,000 years, we have figured out what really makes for good theatrical production. And we've taken the birth of Jesus, man, we've done everything to it. We've put it to music, we've put it to theatrical production, we've put it to everything from the Muppets to Charlie Brown, right? We've, we've done it. And here's what I've noticed that we love to do. We love to make the birth of Jesus very safe, comfortable, and sanitized. We do our best to make the whole deal just seem very warm and fuzzy because it makes us feel good, right? How many of you like warm and fuzzy? Well, we all enjoy that, right? But I have to tell you, when you go behind the scenes and you really study the story of Christmas, it's a lot different than most of the nativity scenes that we see. How many of you would raise your hand and say, in your life, you have seen a Christmas production about the birth of Jesus more than 10 times in your life? <clears throat> you know, we could keep, well, there's probably people in this room that have seen 60 or 70 productions 
of the birth of Jesus. And you know, it's usually kind of the same thing. If it's, uh, if it's adults, you know, they've got some old guys wearing some fake beards that portray the wise men. And, and they, uh, they, they always have these long, very clean, very colorful robes on, big hat, turban on their head. They walk very slow and majestic. Oftentimes you see them pointing off into the distance like they're looking for Jesus. And to strike that pose. That's what they do. And you see, uh, it, Mary always looks so clean and so, so pretty and so calm. She never looks like someone who just spent the last several days riding on the back of a donkey a hundred miles on dirty, dusty, bumpy roads, then went into labor for several hours and then gave natural childbirth in this dirty, you know, animal-filled barn. She never looks like that, right? I mean, look at this. Picking her up by her head. Now check this out. How many of you gals that have gone through natural childbirth, wish that you would have looked like this about an hour after having a baby. Just, you know, thin as the day you were 13 years old. All cleaned up, no blood or goo or anything anywhere. You're just all nice and clean and, and thin. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been great? I've never given childbirth. I just look like someone who has. <laughs> but I, I, I have not. But, you know, Mary never looks like that. She, someone who had gone through all of the things that she went through would be looking pretty worn and haggard, right? We can't have Mary looking like that because it's neither warm nor fuzzy. Doesn't make us feel good. Mary usually looks like someone who just came from a few hours at the day spa, right? She's always very clean and beautiful, always has a light blue robe with a little hoodie because hoodies are warm and fuzzy. If it happens to be a children's production, you have all those same characters and, you know, some of the kids that don't act quite as well as others, they're sheep, and if they refuse to do anything, then they're like a rock or a tree. And that's just the way of the world, you know. But it's all that stuff that we do and we see. All that stuff is what is called pageantry. It's, it's not a very real picture of the birth of Jesus. about as real as a cartoon. But I think it's important that we all know that the little town of Bethlehem, as we know and love... 2,000 years ago, it was a whole lot grittier and a lot less Hollywood. It was a lot more human than we tend to picture. It was, a, it was much more real life and much less pageantry. So, so this morning, I want us to take a closer look behind the scenes, and I want us to look at some of the key characters that make up the Christmas story, this incredible event in human history one of the two most important events in all of human history, the birth of Christ, and secondly, the death and resurrection 
of Christ. But there's a few characters that we very commonly associate with the Christmas story, and I want us to look at those. I want us to begin with Joseph. We don't really know much about Joseph, but let me read to you from Matthew 1, 18 and 19. It says this, This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. How many of you have read that passage of Scripture? We're, this part that's talking, we, like I say, we don't know, there's not much that we know about Joseph. We do know that he was a good and he was a decent man. It tells us that. And we know he was good because he wanted to kind of keep her pregnancy quiet. But he was still completely human. He was still having nothing to do with it. He was calling this show off. Right? He wasn't about to get married to a woman who was pregnant. He, you know, there, there's stuff going on here. When he finds out that his fiance is pregnant, yes, he's willing to do a good thing. But, you know, we have a sneaking hunch here that he was also probably tempted to do the natural thing. Find out who was involved there and just smash him right in the mouth or something like that. He had to be a little upset. But in doing the right thing, he, he couldn't in good conscience marry her because marrying her would, been, would have been at his admission to his guilt in this thing. And he hadn't done anything wrong. But because he was a good man, he doesn't want to expose Mary to all of this public humiliation and disgrace. And actually, uh, by the letter of the law, even possibly her death by stoning. It was pretty rough back then, right? Now that says a lot about Joseph, but we know he's 100% man. He's 100% human. And he had to have been pretty ticked off when Mary tells him about this. You know, I don't know what the conversation went like, but I'm sure his jaw hit the voice and said, what? How did this happen? Run this by me one more time. You're pregnant from this Holy Spirit, some invisible guy kind of blew into town and bang, now you're pregnant. That's, well, that's great. I have no problem believing that story whatsoever. Sounds perfectly logical. No, it doesn't, right? Verse 20 goes on to say this. As he considered this, speaking of considering breaking off their engagement, he's thinking about it. An angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid. I want you to remember that word. Afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I think it's interesting here that God instructs Joseph to not be afraid. Why do you think God told him, don't be afraid? Why do you think God said that? Anybody? This is really simple. God told him not be afraid because apparently he was afraid. Who's glad you got up and came to church this morning? That we, you know, discuss these deep biblical truths. 
Apparently, he was afraid, no doubt. And here's what I think Joseph was one of the things he was afraid of. I think part of it was he had fear that Mary was not this righteous, pure little girl that she, he thought she was. I mean, you, you put yourself in Joseph's place and, you know, you think you know somebody very well and you love them so much you want to marry them. You want to spend the rest of your life with them and you've already been making these big plans and you have these dreams about your life with this person and then, you know, she drops this bombshell on you, you know, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. That's a tough one to swallow, isn't it, right there? Verse 22 through 24 says, All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But she remained a virgin until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. So it took a little convincing on Joseph's part. But once Joseph was fully convinced that this was a God thing, he didn't hesitate to do what was right. He didn't hesitate to do what God was asking him to do. But how many of you have ever noticed that just because you decide to do a right thing, that doesn't mean all your fear goes away. Joseph still needed this message from God. Hey, don't be afraid. Because the truth is this. A lot of times, maybe we could say most of the time, doing the right thing can be a little bit scary. You know, most people in this world are very busy doing all kinds of wrong things, right? The majority of people in this world are busy doing wrong things. Going along with the crowd is usually not a scary thing. That's the easy thing. Doing the right thing almost always takes more courage than doing the wrong thing. Have you noticed that in life? Almost always. So Joseph marries his pregnant fiance. Today, we might call it a shotgun wedding. Back then, I don't know, slingshot wedding. We don't know, I don't know for sure what all they had. But I would even have to think that Joseph most likely still had some fears and some questions even after finding out that this was a God thing. Imagine some of his possible thoughts. You know, he might have been thinking, I'm going to be dad to the savior of the world. How am I supposed to parent that? You know, am I going to be disciplining him or is he going to be disciplining me? How's this going to work? Am I, am I allowed to spank him or do I just, you know, have to sit him in a corner and have him think about what he's done? I, I don't know what the parameters are going to be, you know. Is it... Will he always finish off all of our little father-son talks before I even have a chance to get to the end? A lot of these thoughts might have been running through his head, and there had to be a certain amount of fear. So the word that I want us to associate with Joseph in his thoughts of Jesus is afraid. Joseph was a bit afraid. Now let's talk about Mary. 
Now, we've all seen Mary in the production. Very beautiful, very serene, very almost angelic, right? But behind the scenes, you see this very, very young woman. By most Bible scholars agree she was 16 or younger. Very young girl living out this almost impossible story. She is a pregnant virgin. That's a tough one to explain, right? Very, there's no PR spin that's going to make this thing appear innocent. And can you imagine Mary's conversation with her parents? She has to go home and talk to her mom or dad. They're very completely Jewish. And her defense is, Mom, we were all we did was talk. Oy vey, that must have been some conversation. I don't know what went on, but that was a tough one to explain to her parents, right? I would imagine a little bit of chaos broke out in that house for a while. This was a very unnatural thing, right? It was a supernatural thing. And sometimes supernatural things are a little bit tough for us hard-headed humans to kind of wrap our minds around. But God does supernatural things, doesn't he? What an incredible privilege for Mary to give birth to our Lord and Savior. But right at first, I just wonder how privileged she felt knowing what all she was going to have to go through for a while. You know, the Mary that we always see up on the stage always looks so calm and peaceful, very serene. But behind the scenes, boy, she had a lot going on, didn't she? And within just a few days of delivering Jesus, he's, he's kicking around in her, in her womb. Joseph lets them all know, we've got to take a road trip. Luke 2, 4, and 5. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. Joseph had to take this trip to Bethlehem. From Nazareth to Bethlehem, it's about a hundred-mile trip. Now, in a minivan, that's... No big deal, right? But on the back of a donkey, nine months pregnant, that's a big deal. You know, depending on weather and overall donkey speed, which I don't know what that is. But Bible scholars say, at a minimum, this was a five or six day trip, and that's if they were getting after it. Five or six days, you're about to give birth. You're riding on this donkey, bouncing up and down on these dirty, dusty, filthy roads. And do you notice in that verse, I love this term, she was now obviously pregnant. That's an interesting term, I think. Mary was obviously pregnant. I wish all women who were pregnant were obviously pregnant. Anybody else in this room that's ever been as dumb as me, one time, ask a woman, oh, when are you expecting? And then you get this look. They don't even have to say anything. You can read it. The look says it. 
I ought to just stab you in the throat with an ice pick. <laughs> is kind of what the look says. If you ever make that mistake, chances are very good you will never make that mistake a second time as long as you live. I mean, they have to be obviously, obviously pregnant or you're not going to say a word. I learned that lesson many, many years ago, and it's, it's never happened again. So that's why I like this. I thought this was an interesting term. She was obviously pregnant. Just makes life easier for everyone. <laughs> so being within just a few days of delivering a baby, having to ride 100 miles on a bouncing donkey, uh, that, that it was no joy ride. So I consider all of these things that Mary had to deal with, and I have to believe that Mary was incredibly uncomfortable. Can we, does that sound like a good descriptive word for a woman who's nine months pregnant having to ride 100 miles over a five- or six-day period on the back of a donkey? Uncomfortable. So I want us to associate the word with Mary, uncomfortable. This whole story of Jesus coming into the world, she was uncomfortable. Joseph is afraid. Mary is uncomfortable. And that brings us to another interesting character, the innkeeper. The innkeeper is very interesting to me because it seems like no matter who is retelling this story, the innkeeper is always the bad guy. Right? He is the bad guy in his story. He is always this horrible, mean person that didn't give a hoot about this poor, young, obviously pregnant girl. And he just refuses to give them a room. He's a bad guy. I would say the innkeeper is pretty much the original Scrooge of Christmas, right? Now, I've never heard anybody get on Joseph for, you know, bad planning. He obviously had failed to make any kind of prior arrangements. He could have pulled out his Arabian Express card and made a reservation, but he didn't do it. But the truth is this, the innkeeper is barely mentioned in Scripture. In fact, let me see by a show of hands, how many of you are very familiar with this character in the Christmas story, the innkeeper? Let me see your hand if you are familiar with the character of the innkeeper. Four of you, come on, get serious. Let me see your hand if you are familiar with the innkeeper. Most of you. Which is very, very interesting because the Bible makes no mention of an innkeeper. You realize that? He is not, there is no innkeeper mentioned in the Bible. So, we hear of the innkeeper only by association. You realize that? It, uh, all of the venom that has been you know, spewed on this poor innkeeper for the last 2,000 years is based on one little verse of Scripture. It says, Mary wrapped the baby in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Period. So we can only, and we have been doing this for thousands of years, we are associating the fact that there was an inn, so there had to be an innkeeper. And it's probably right. 
but we can't prove it in a court of law, can we? But we're going to assume that there surely was an innkeeper. How many of you right now are thinking, and don't call him Shirley? I was just curious because it popped into my head as I said that. So that being the case, you know, you get behind the scenes. I don't think the innkeeper was a bad guy at all. I have to think the innkeeper was just very, very busy doing his job. He was very, very occupied. You know, it, it was what it was. There just, there weren't any rooms to give out. He couldn't give out a room. The joint was full to the brim. Sold out. Tom Bodette did not leave the light on. It's like 10 of you got that joke. So I'm not even going to explain it, but just take it from me. That was kind of funny. It was probably out of kindness that the innkeeper had pity on him so you know that he took time to even show them around back to the stable where they would at least have a roof over their head for the night you know no one knows for sure but but we know this if that inn was completely full to capacity that innkeeper was very busy he was very very occupied so occupied that he didn't have room for Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, right? Too occupied. So when it comes to the innkeeper, we're going to associate this word occupied. Very busy. No room. Now let's talk about those first visitors that were there to see Jesus. The reason I refer to them as the first visitors is because they differ depending on which account you're reading first. You know, in Matthew, the first visitors mentioned are the wise men, not the shepherds. But in Luke, the first visitors spoken of are the shepherds. And they were just a few miles outside of town. So we're going to assume, as most Bible scholars do, the shepherds were there that night. But what is important about these first visitors is this. In both narratives they have kind of the same response to Jesus. In Matthew, we read about the wise men. It says, They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, of myrrh. What did they do first? They bowed down and they worshipped him. Whether you're talking about the shepherds or the wise men, their response to Jesus is very much the same. They worshipped him. In Luke 2, we read, After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So the response of the shepherds, they took this this story to kind of a new level. They didn't just worship in the moment, but they took their worship out into the streets. They were telling everybody that they came in contact with about Jesus. They were awestruck. Some translations say amazed. So we're going to associate with these first visitors the word amazed. So as we've kind of 
taken a glimpse behind the scenes of this Christmas story, we have talked about four very different feelings that people involved in this Christmas story experienced concerning Jesus, right? Some were afraid. Some were uncomfortable. Some were very occupied. But some were just simply amazed. What you need to do is you need to go behind the scenes of your own life, that place that, you know, only you and God can really see, your soul. And you need to answer that question. What is it you feel when you really focus on Jesus? You get rid of all the pageantry. You know, you get rid of all the different costumes that we wear sometimes so people can't really see who we really are. You get past all of that, and you ask yourself, what feelings do I have concerning Jesus? And you will find that it's one of these four that were experienced in the original Christmas story. Chances are, the mention of Jesus either brings a little bit of fear into your life, or else it makes you very uncomfortable, or you're just too busy and you're too occupied to really listen to it or else you are amazed by him. It's, it's something that in all these thousands, 2,000 years, the emotions are all still pretty much the same that we humans feel concerning Jesus. You know, do these descriptive words, do they kind of ring true in your life? What about fear? You know, some people don't accept Jesus as Lord and Savior because they have fear of what their life's going to be like if they give themselves completely to God. You know, a lot of times Satan likes to convince us of this lie that and you give yourself to Jesus, you become a Christian, and your life's about to get real boring. That is a lie from, this, from the devil, isn't it? Your life is not about to get boring. If you really commit your life and give it to the Lord, your life is about to get pretty exciting because you're going to be doing things you never thought you'd be doing. It's not going to be boring. Some people are afraid that when they focus on Jesus, it just brings some fear into their heart because they know they're not living the way they're supposed to be living. So sometimes the mention of Jesus brings that fear into people's life. What about discomfort? Maybe Jesus makes you uncomfortable. And maybe you just don't want the discomfort that goes with living for Jesus and the discomfort of not doing what the world is doing. You know, anytime you're fighting against the stream, it's a little uncomfortable, right? Sometimes it's a lot uncomfortable. But we are people who are very much into comfort. We love comfort. How many of you like to be comfortable? I like to be comfortable. But I'll tell you, a lot of times God will ask us to do things that make us a little uncomfortable. And we have to decide, are we going to do what he's asking or are we going to choose to just try to be comfortable? Which the ironic thing is, when we make that choice, it always leads to great, great discomfort. We're just not real smart all the time as humans, are we? No, I'm not going to do what God asks. I'm going to do the comfortable thing. Only to find out before long, you are in the most discomfort. You don't know what to do. 
So a lot of people like comfortable when they, you know, they love the thought of, of being a Christian and going to heaven. This has been proven. There have been studies taken. I mean, it's something like 80 or 90 percent of the uh, of people polled say, oh, yes, I want to go to heaven. But don't ask them to change their lifestyle to get there because they're, 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 they're comfortable with their lifestyle and they really don't want to, aren't interested in any change per se. Discomfort. What about this feeling of occupied? Maybe when it comes to Jesus, sometimes people are just too busy for him. I got too much going on to think about one more thing. Your life is filled to the brim and, and there's just no room for, for Jesus because your life is too full. Your heart is too full of, uh, of all the things that you think you want to be and you want to experience in life and you don't want to miss out on it. And right now there's just no time for Jesus because you're just so occupied. Too much to do. But that last one, now what about just being amazed with who Jesus is and what he's done for us? That's enough to make, it should make us just amazed. You know, maybe when it comes to Jesus, you are just simply amazed and awestruck with him and that defines your life. Hopefully that's the case. Hopefully the name of Jesus makes you want to do more than just wear one of those WWJD bracelets or put a little plastic fish on the back of your car or one of those bumper stickers. Honk if you love Jesus. I don't see those anymore. Those were big years ago. You know what happened to me one time? I honked at a guy who had this sticker on his bumper. And when I went by him, he gave me some sign language, and I don't think he was saying, and I see you love Jesus too. <laughs> it's like, dude, get the bumper sticker off the back of your car, man. Actually happened. What we need to do as we enter this Christmas season is we all need to be very, very honest with ourselves, and we need to define the feelings that are evoked inside of us Concerning Jesus. You know, does it make you scared? Does it make you just too uncomfortable? Are you just too busy? Or are you ready to just share in the amazement and feel the amazement of who Jesus really is? You know, it, it's, it's important for you to know this. No matter what answer or feeling you experience, you can always know you're not alone. There's someone else experiencing the same thing. You know, if you'd like to be amazed with Jesus, but the truth is you're just too occupied, well, you're, I guarantee you, you're not alone. The important thing is that you're honest with yourself and you recognize it. I'm so busy, I've been pushing Jesus out of my life. You have to be honest enough with yourself to admit it. Or maybe you've got a lot of fear in your life. Maybe you're afraid of what giving your life to Jesus is going to change. I've heard people say, you know, I, I'm just afraid I'm going to lose all my friends. I've had people say that. And I always say, look, if you accept Jesus and you lose all your friends, I can promise you those were not friends. 
Those were people all about dragging you down into the pits of hell. Friendship had nothing to do with it. So the great thing about accepting Jesus and you lose some friends, this is a perfect opportunity to find some real friends. So I got to give a little plug for our small groups. What a great place to meet real friends. People that when you're going through a hardship, you know you've got people there supporting you. How many of you have experienced that in your small groups? I know Diane and Steve have experienced that in the last two weeks when Chattel diagnosed with leukemia. Man, I think every member of their small group has been up there and, and people have prepared meals. It's great knowing there's people that love you, isn't it? We all, that's what we all want. We all have this desire, kind of an, a natural desire within us to just know that people care and have concern for us. And I tell you, if you're not feeling that, I would almost be willing to bet, if I was a betting man, that you're not in a small group. So I just threw that in there for free. Give a little plug for Pastor Todd's main ministry here, head of our small groups. It's an important thing. But maybe you're very uncomfortable thinking about a relationship with Jesus or what, you know, Jesus is going is gonna to do to your life. You're, you're very comfortable. You don't want to rock the boat. These are all feelings that people have. When you say the word Jesus, it's uncanny. It's one of those feelings that come out. Fear, they're un you make them very uncomfortable. They're too busy to listen to it. Or they are, in fact, amazed with Jesus. 2,000 years, we're all still experiencing basically the same feelings when we hear the word Jesus. Isn't that amazing? So whether you're feeling... Alone, not alone. I mean, if you're feeling alone, you're, the person sitting right next to you may be feeling the same thing. You may think they've all got it, they've got it all together, but behind the scenes, you know, they, they, they're, they're fearful. They're uncomfortable. Or they're too, way too occupied. But here's, here's the answer we need to know. I close with this this morning. The answer is always the same. The answer is always Jesus. And that annoys some people. Now, some people, how can Jesus be the answer to everything? Jesus, 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 I'm sitting here in my Jesus. I've had that response before. And I just say, you know what? I'm sorry, but when, you, when the rubber meets the road, here's the truth. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you begin to realize that whatever questions you have in life, the answer is always found in having a relationship with Jesus. And the more mature we get, the more we realize that to be true. Amen? You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210 657 3578.